0: I'm Mike Ellis.
1: And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. Not my Luke Skywalker.
0: Oh, what just happened?
1: <laughs> I just... How can you live your entire life now, you're, as an adult, as a grown man, uh, complaining to strangers on the internet that it's not your Luke Skywalker? Well, it never was your Luke Skywalker then.
0: Yeah. Well, here's,
1: here's let, let me tell you: you, unless you're writing your Luke Skywalker fan fiction, it never was your Luke Skywalker.
0: Well, that's the thing with these sorts of characters is that you know. Not Eventually, my, there's going to be a story you don't like.
1: Not you know? my Han Solo. No, here's the thing. This is this is interesting because we, if you were to go all the way back to our George Lucas panel mm-hmm. on this show, you know we we had this the, the the really highfalutin discussion about when does it belong to a culture, when or when does it belong to the artist. Mike turned me on to. Um, the Urozawa Manben show, the Japanese show by,
0: what's the guy's full name? It's, uh, Naoki Urozawa. Uh, he's Ur- a brilliant manga artist.
1: He's, he's a comic book artist in, in Japan. And he, you know, he's, he's basically, he's one of the veterans in his field and people look up. he's made some great works and he decided to do this show that is essentially a reality show, although it's not the type of reality show that you normally expect from Japan. There aren't people being dunked in horse piss or something. Um, he... Basically, he has a show where he goes into another manga artist's uh, like studio and films them for two, three, four days, and then they edit together an episode of so- sort of how they do their work. And then the two of the, Urasawa and the artist, talk to one another about it, about their process, and they sort of, Urasawa points out the differences, and they sort of explain how they um a concept comes into into being right through mm-hmm. through the through this this really particular form of art and you'd be i think i've only watched maybe 4 of these episodes and on on at least 2 of them in conversation that uh what urasawa urasawa does with the other artist they have said well at a certain you know it immediately belongs the work immediately belongs to the audience these artists are at least honest enough to understand that well yes these are my characters and i'm you know i'm still being paid off of them and i may even still be drawing them as part of a story but there is this part where once it is published and once it is sent away it's no longer really fully yours legally yes um but it really isn't and like it it's humbling to see um, these gu- these guys talk about this because it's their lives, it's and it's their passion.
0: Well, it's it's interesting because there's an experience of of taking a piece of culture, whether it's music or whether it's a comic or a movie or anything, that's internal to the person that's receiving it. That there's a context, and it's going to be different for every single person because that's the part of it that you bring to it. Like, um, I'm a big fan of a comic book series called Why the Last Man. Uh, it's, it's a great series by uh, Pia Guerra the artist. It's written by Brian K. Vaughan, who's now doing Saga. And uh, at the end of it, there's a scene where a character, a beloved pet dies. And uh, that last issue came out like a week after I had to put my dog to sleep. And I started bawling reading this because it was frighteningly close um pia Guerra, the artist but i told her that gave me a hug at a con um <laughs> but yeah i just i just all i could think about was just my dog dying and being there with my dog and you know saying goodbye to my dog and i'm just like oh and it's just kind of like my sinuses and my my eyes just oh my tear ducts just open up and i'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just a blobbery mess so that piece of art, art was created with with the stuff that um that Brian Kavon brought to it in the script and the idea. And then it was interpreted through the prism of Pia Guerra's artwork that she, she basically created that, but that's still only half of the work. The other half is when I take it and my context comes into it. So I can't separate that moment in the comic from the death of my dog, Einstein, who was a good boy. Hmm. Um, but, that's not going to be the experience that other people have reading it. Right. So on one level, that is mine, that experience of taking in that story and shooting it through the context of my own life and my own lived experiences. So for somebody to, to do the Luke Skywalker thing on one level, yeah, that's not what the guy in my head, the the other half of the equation that I filled in to this performance would have done, but it's also out of your hands. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what the people who own this character are going to do with it, um, but at the same time, you know, I don't want the fan fiction version of Luke Skywalker to go on. One of the things I'm most impressed with with the new Star Wars movies, both Force Awakens and Last Jedi, Last Jedi especially, is that it's there's a, a great deal put into this idea of life not working out the way that happily ever after you know, projects an image into your brain, that marriages don't work, that Han Solo and Princess Leia were never going to have a long-term happy marriage, that the thing that they ultimately had in common was this shared experience of being in the rebellion. They're two completely different people who may be attracted to each other, but the sort of life that they're comfortable living after that conflict is over, they are not compatible that she's someone who is going to want to rebuild a government and and to do something and to be a leader and to be an administrator. And he's essentially a ne'er do well. He's never going to be put in charge of anything other than a small group of rebel commandos because he doesn't want to be. A, he doesn't want to have an office job and wear a tie. He's just not that guy. Lando is sort of that guy. Lando mm. can get that job working for Leia and move into the job of being an administrator. He's comfortable doing that. Han is kind of the Avon Barksdale from The Wire, right? And right. I guess that makes Lando Stringer. <laughs> that you know, Stringer sees bigger things, and he he wants to go legit at some point. Where Han is just like, I kind of like being the criminal. That's kind of what I know how to do. It's what I'm comfortable doing. I don't put on airs about what it is that I do. I live out of my my van with my <laughs> yeti friend, and we steal shit, <laughs> and it's kind of what we do. Um. I kind of like the, the acknowledgement of that, and also the fact that Luke Skywalker is not going to create a perfect new generation of Jedi, and it's not going to... I like the fact that well, we get to see our, our heroes
1: fail. Can, can we also sort of even step back when you're thinking about uh, having to create a piece of work that's a continuance of, of another generation of someone else's mm-hmm. work is? Um, it wouldn't make for a very interesting movie if all of the characters from the original trilogy were alive and were doing happily... Like, oh, everything is perfect. Yeah, that would not make for a very interesting story. No, it it doesn't. It's you know, so like, okay, Luke Skywalker is the head of the Jedi Order, and and they've brought peace, and uh, uh, everyone's happy. You know, Luke and Leia are happily married. The you know the government of Han the, and Leia, not, not Luke and not, Leia. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Han and Leia are happily married, have have well adjusted children, and the uh, the Galactic Republic is is doing just fine. Like, that's not all that interesting. Something has to disrupt this. Uh, to, or threaten to destroy this for it to be a sort of Star Wars level interesting uh, story. Well,
0: what's the second word in Star Wars? Yeah, right, right. I mean, you had to have to have space fighting.
2: So yeah. if
1: if it, if it weren't going to be blown up in that in a particular way that it was with sort of w- what J.J. J. Abrams started with, with um, then it was going to have to be blown up in another way. So all of your characters are going to have to be brought to their knees in some one way or another. You know.
2: Yeah, I also love how in the last Jedi there's this theme um that permeates the entire movie about not being able to live up to expectations. Yeah. Um we see that I think most in Luke and and I think that that exists on a meta level as well. Like you're trying to make a Star Wars movie, it can't it can't be you know what people expect it yeah it just can't and so that being able to take that realization and put that into the story i thought was really clever i
0: the other thing too and this is something that i think will be a tremendously unpopular opinion that i have but i i think it's also true which is why it's my opinion (laughs) um i think the jedi are by and large the most boring part of star wars Hmm. that luke and ray are interesting as characters in their struggle to become this thing But the minute they become and master this ability to be this powerful Zen samurai wizard monk who uh, have complete control over their emotions and never get upset and everything is easy for them, they suddenly become much less interesting characters. That Luke, the aspiring Jedi, is so much more interesting than Luke, the perfect Jedi master, that a lot of these people are upset that Mark Hamill didn't play in The Last Jedi. Well, I
1: mean, this is the reason why if you have a kung fu movie and the protagonist goes to, you know, to the old man on the hill to, to train, that's why the old man is on the hill. Yeah. Right? Because in in the sort of classic archetype of a kung fu story, the person who's the master is necessarily separate from... From everything that's going on and so all the conflict has to be from whatever has happened to the protagonist and why he needs to train and whatever da- Daner is danger is external to him um, like so it wouldn't it doesn't like even the trope that they're trying to roll with it doesn't make sense for uh, any character that has to be in conflict to be like that perfect serene uh, serene Jedi character. I really, Wise
0: old man on the hill. I really think that the version of Luke in The Last Jedi is the most interesting that has ever been. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of somebody who has failed horribly, not only just failed with a student, but failed with their own nephew. And it created a crisis of faith in them that made them think that the thing that they had been fighting for their whole life was a stupid cause, and that it's ultimately harmful, that they don't want to be a Jedi, that the Jedi... Or ultimately they are responsible for so many awful things, and when you look at the prequels, they kind of are the the stealth bad guys of that series. <laughs> they are not good people, and they're
1: assholes. And well, I mean, the whole thing—the legacy of the—they said the legacy of the Jedi is failure. At their peak, they caused the fall of the Republic and the rise of the Empire. Right? Like, in in that, in that way, I think that it was great that Ryan Johnson was aware, like you said, the sort of meta game that he's playing with writing the story is that he's aware enough to understand that. Yeah. If you take it as a whole, and I guess you have to take prequels as Canon. Um, yeah, the Jedi is pretty un- ridiculous and incompetent, you yeah. know, it's, think, in fact, so incompetent. So as to destroy everything.
0: But I think as, as we're starting to build star Wars into this multi-generational saga, uh, what is star Wars ultimately about? It's about the new generation having to pick up the messes of the people who came before them. Yeah. That, um, Luke and Leia to a much lesser extent. I think, if anything, she just failed to make the Republic realize that Nazis are still scary. And that's a lesson we're still learning in real world. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, we should be on guard against this sort of stuff. Right. But she did a better job of of keeping the flame burning than Han or Luke did. And But ultimately, I think you can see in the the path that Rey has in The Last Jedi, it's a story about um, that if you meet your heroes, you're only going to be disappointed because they're human that we shouldn't try to recreate and follow them, that Rey's failure in the movie is thinking that she can follow the template of the last Star Wars trilogy and that she can save this guy um, because that's what the last hero did. And the part that she doesn't realize to the end is, but the thing that the last hero did ended in failure. So you, the ultimately what you have to do is break the mold and the Jedi are dead and whatever gets created in the future has to be better than the Jedi, Mm -hmm. not just a recreation of a, a dead religion, but something new, something that doesn't grab children and tell them that their emotions are bad and, and basically hold them off in this weird sort of weird militia esque cult. And, uh, you know, maybe something that's healthier and better and smarter and doesn't create another Kylo Ren or Darth Vader or whatever, you know, I—that's the part of it that I kind of like—is that it. Yoda seems even cool with that. Mm-hmm. That there's a point that th- that line he but, has in the movie. Well, Yoda is a mouthpiece for the way Ryan Johnson
1: is—the prism of Ryan Johnson what he's taking Star Wars through. Right. So it's hard to—it really is difficult because uh, it really is difficult to sort of cast a larger trail of what's going to happen, project forward with what's going to happen. Because really, this was. Um they they almost I, I hate the fact that I'm saying this. It almost would have made more sense for this this sort of uh, sequel trilogy to have been just the work of one filmmaker if they've just given J.J. Abrams all the way through and let Ryan Johnson do his other I thing. love what Ryan Johnson is doing. Uh, no, though. I agree with you. I agree with you, however, but there will be this difficult thing to for JJ uh, Abrams to sort of navigate for the for episode nine, because he will now have to reconcile sort of his ability to just do the sort of milk toast soft reboot retelling of the same story with what Ryan Johnson tried to basically st- st- put a stick of dynamite in and let and explode
2: i hadn't i hadn't realized um that it was two different directors i thought, yeah. I, mm-hmm. oh this is brilliant first you give them what they want and it's good um in um episode 7 mm-hmm and then in episode 8 you say okay we're going to do something different now but it's two different directors so how's that going to turn out
0: I think what I kind of love in in episode 8 what I love about the last jedi ultimately is that it saw that with with JJ uh, Abrams JJ Abrams is ultimately kind of a tribute band guy that he's a remixer that he takes the things that he loves And recreates them and refocuses them to make them modern in a weird sort of way. It's kind of what George Lucas did with the original star Wars that he took these Kurosawa, uh, samurai films and he took these flash Gordon serials, things that he loved. And he created a different thing out of them. He created this new updated version of that. And he says, okay, this is like a flash Gordon serial, but it's built for the seventies rather than built for like the forties and fifties. And it's expensive this time. Um, I think that's kind of what we saw happening, is that it was sort of a tribute band version of Star Wars with the with Force Awakens. And I think what we saw happen with Ryan Johnson, he says, well, I don't want to just watch the same trilogy again, where the second one is a tribute band version of Empire and the third one is a... So he did a couple things to intentionally break the toys and then cauterize the wound so that whoever comes next can't do the new Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So he said, "Well, what if I get that throne room scene out of the way and I have it go in a totally different direction?" And uh, one of my, my unpopular views that I think now is, I hope they never explain who Supreme Leader Snoke was. Yeah. I hope they that I think the 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 twist reveal of the most interesting bad guy being the lead bad guy rather than the the evil wizard in a chair is so cool. I love that scene where it t- it also flips. Rey's expectations on its head, that Rey thinks she's going up there to be in the last act of Return of the Jedi, and that uh, this guy is going to save her and and kill the monster, and they're going to be friends now. And the movie tricks you for a little time into thinking that's going to happen. But then you realize this is not Kylo Ren turning to the light side. This is Kylo Ren orchestrating, orchestrating a coup. A bloody coup to take power, because what is the thing in Empire Strikes Back that... Uh, that Darth Vader wants from Luke. Join me and we'll overthrow that guy. This is a guy who did it. He succeeded in a way that Darth Vader didn't. And even the destruction of his helmet is him basically, fuck that. I'm not a Darth Vader cosplayer anymore. I'm better. Um, the difference is, is he got Ray to help him, but she didn't realize she was helping him orchestrate a coup. She thought that this is his turn to the light side. And I kind of love that. I love that scene right after that really cool lightsaber battle. Where she realizes this isn't what she thought it was. And she's kind of begging him, just don't do this, don't do this, Ben, don't do this. And he goes, he has this like kind of angry, insecure, like you realize what they sort of mean to each other, where he's he sees the only other person that he can relate to on some level that I know what it's like to be different, I know it's that. And I need you by my side. Of course, probably not as an equal knowing Kylo Ren. And he's kind of negging her a little bit, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. he says, you know, you're nothing, you're nobody, but not to me, which is a beautiful Uh, piece of emotional manipulation. That's what I love about the Kylo Ren character.
2: Yeah, I feel like Kylo is so emotionally manipulative, he manipulates the audience, too. He's got me. (laughs) in the first one, he had me thinking that... Um, he was going to switch to Light and join Han Solo. And then in the second one, I thought maybe there's a possibility again. And I'm just wondering, are they going to keep giving him chances? I feel like he's gotten his chances. I think he you got need his chances. Yeah. Need-
1: <laughs> I, I, I mean, I chalk that up to just Adam Driver doing really well with being able to insert that kind of subtext into his character. Like At first, I was like, Adam Driver is such a goofy... He's such an Adam Driver-looking guy adam drivering all over the place he's such a goofy fuck um but he really did he really did sell it he really does sell that character extraordinarily yeah. well that that sort of immature rage mm-hmm. that, that self-doubt and that immature rage like in the first one was so good because you didn't see a character like that in star wars
0: that he wants people to understand him and he wants them to validate what he's feeling i mean that's clearly what he wants out of ray is I want you to see what it is that was done to me and I want you to, to side with me because he can't go to anyone else because Hux hates him and he's not going to go and show weakness to the Supreme Leader because he hates the Supreme Leader who abuses both him and Hux. And he's he just, he kind of, he resents this person who, in a lot of ways, it's like Luke was a better teacher to him. I mean, I'm pretty sure Luke wasn't throwing him around and threatening him all the time. So it's sort of like I sided with this guy to get out from under Luke, and I hate him and I resent him, and maybe this is that whole evil dark Jedi thing where you're ultimately expected to kill the your teacher. Um, but I kind of love that. There's that sense of of like you mentioned that's immature rage that he's so angry about the situation he's in, and he just lashes out at the world, and it's it's not it's like Darth Vader always keeps his cool. That he, he never betrays his emotion. He never allows himself to look silly. And what I love about Kylo Ren is those moments come out and he responds to them with more anger because mm. he can't let... But he's, he's a supremely powerful person, but he's also childish. And I, I love the conflicted emotions in him about that. And he's really decided, no, I'm going to be space Nazi dictator now. And uh, I think that... Ultimately, what, what's interesting with these movies is that they're timely in a way that I didn't expect. That the first movie, which came out in 2015, yeah, is in um, a big part of it is that Leia's part of a private resistance movement that has formed because the actual government won't take Nazis seriously, <laughs> and then Nazis won, and now she's part of an actual resistance movement that is that is the underdog. And I kind of love the the weird notion that nobody would believe her that we need to be cognizant of Nazis, like, oh they're defeated, they're stupid. They're they're French figures, and they're like, oh no, they're fucking dangerous. And I kind of it became accidentally the most politically relevant oh, I mean, moment in a movie. It was it was actually kind of like when um Arrival
1: came out. The arrival. Which one was the was uh, one? Oh, has Charlie Sheen? That's the arrival. The arrival. When arrival and, uh, came out in Amy Adams's arrival. Yes. Uh, uh, the the Villeneuve movie, like the week after the election in the uh, in November of 2016, like that was also sort of a movie where it was like, oh my god, we need to have, we need to talk about how we talk to one another. Like we, we need to talk about how you understand uh, something that's different than what you are especially when the consequences of not talking to each other is possibly our annihilation. Yeah. Like th- there are really, this is what I love about movies is there really are just sort of those times when there's a, you know, a synchronicity of a sort of a fictional story that's about the, about human condition and events that sort of mesh together. And they make you be like, this is more profound than it would be if I would just have been watching Arrival, you know,
0: if it had came out 10 years ago. Exactly. You know? I was thinking about this too. Um, the, I have a couple I, unpopular opinions, and I think one of them is that I still really like The Walking Dead, both oh. the, both the comic and the TV show. And it's funny because I think it's become really fashionable to, to dog on both of them, and there's this unspoken assumption that people kind of make that, oh, it's bad now. I don't like this now. I, I
1: haven't watched it since the second season, so I'm not even qualified to disagree with you.
0: But I understand why people are upset with Walking Dead, at least for the last couple seasons. Um, even though it's based on a storyline that was written in the comic like seven or eight years ago, is, are you familiar with where Walking Dead is going, guys? Uh,
1: I read, for a zombie panel, I think I read clearly past where the the, the season is right now, I think.
0: Okay, so, um, basically, uh, Rick, the lead character, Rick Grimes and stuff, he's part of a community that's outside of Washington, D.C., and they started communicating with other groups, other different communities, walled groups that are are around that area. And one of them, the Hilltop, um, they didn't know at the time they first communicated with them, are essentially part of a protection racket that the, the Hilltop people have to give half of their stuff to a group called the Saviors who are led by a guy named Negan. And uh, they decide... Negan. Negan. <laughs> yeah, oh, Negan is a fucking great character. Um, he is a warlord. He's a dictator. He's, he's crass. He's, he's crude. He's profane. He can be funny at times, but he's a bully more than any one word. He's a bully that he knows that you're, you can't do anything to fight him but he'll twist the knife constantly and he'll smile and smile at you while doing it. And he's such a fucking asshole. So Rick and his uh, people decide, Hey, we're going to fight that guy for you. That fight does not go well. And now Rick's group has to give half of their shit to this bully. And, um, this happened about the time that Donald Trump was elected president. <laughs> and I think that there's a certain amount of escapism that people want, even in a dystopian post-apocalyptic zombie show. And I think it was hard for them to get that sense of distance and that sense of escapism when suddenly the characters on this show are dealing with a crass, um, rude, bullying... Yeah, sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah, this swaggering asshole who's just rubbing their faces and stuff. And... I think it just it, it was too much. And it's weird because the story was written way before any of this and is clearly not intended to be about Donald Trump. But it's kind of hard to separate the 24-hour news cycle that you're also watching with this hour of television. And it feels like Negan's a great character. I mean, he really is. And I, I never thought of Donald Trump when I was reading the comics that he starred in. But it's been this growing sense of trying to figure out why people... Are just like oh fuck that show I can't handle this anymore. But the show's always been about misery. It's always about the characters trying and failing and things that they've you know, built falling apart. I, I was a similar
1: there was a similar pushback for Game of Thrones a couple of seasons ago I think and it, I think a lot of it revolved around Ramsay Bolton's character and sort of him continually ramping up the cruelty that people were especially women were visited upon because of him on screen where. You know, people were throwing up their hands and being like, this show is disgusting and I don't want to watch it anymore. And you, you, you have to be sympathetic to that idea because, yeah, if you can't stand watching it, if it's because the emotion that they're trying to generate in you as a viewer is disgust, which... That's leg- that's legitimate for art to do to, to make you discuss. I mean, it's it. supposed
0: to do that. But again, right. that's that question of what do you bringing to the art as well? Right? Is there maybe something, whether it's the election of Donald Trump or maybe a past um, experience with abuse yourself, sure, that you're bringing to this artwork as you're taking it in, that makes that untenable? Then yes, stop watching it if it makes you really unhappy. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, no, you got to tough it out because yeah. it's just it's just a TV
1: show. I mean yeah the we should always continue the refrain is you can feel feel you can feel free to like the things that we don't like and vice versa like come on we're not no there's no need for gatekeepers there really isn't any need for gatekeepers
0: lord knows there are enough people who want to be gatekeepers and it's not good for anything no it it isn't and no. if nothing else all you're doing if if it's a thing that you like don't you want more people to like the thing that no. you like uh, speaking of
1: something that I like, that I want more people to like, The Expanse. I which, still haven't watched which, that. I've
2: seen it. Uh, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I got that reference. <laughs> the first, the first season. I haven't seen the second season yet. So no.
1: it's you would agree it's pretty top notch, pretty top notch sci-fi drama. Yes. Um It's just got stripped away from sci-fi, and it's uh, and it's just at the kind of at the last quarter of its third season, which for my for my uh sort of eyeball minutes it's pretty amazing pretty amazing what they've done with doing uh, basically a sci-fi budget sci-fi channel budget show and you know what that can mean for uh for television it's a spectrum yeah, it's a it's, wide yeah. spectrum um it isn't like the show has been canceled effectively the the show is produced by it's called Alcon i think it's a canadian production company it's entirely financed by them but its distribution deal was solely through Sci-Fi Channel, and because they weren't happy with the rate, the live TV ratings. Now this is the this is the troublesome part. Is their their relationship, their contract was based on the live TV ratings of this show on cable. Now, if you if you are anyone who watches anything you know that uh, watching it live, being there on the night, on the day, sitting in front of your television and watching it live is something that the majority of people don't do now. Yeah,
0: yeah. good job, Grandpa. <laughs> it's, it's like,
1: of course, you basing that around the, the ability of the show to stay on the air is going to end in failure because so many people don't watch it that way. I now. don't know if that's
0: a way that a lot of people watch television now, whether you're watching it um, online you're watching it through a streaming service like Netflix. Or, or you're DVR'd. dvr watching Which doesn't it. count for, for this metric. Or cable on demand. Yep, yep. Uh, watching it on something like iTunes. These are all ways that people watch something. The idea of, of watching a broadcast as it first goes out for a television show is such a strange thing now that I almost never do. And I imagine that aside from news programming and sports programming, there aren't a lot of people that that watch things live anymore. Well,
1: I mean, and I don't know if you either of you are aware of the actual way in which they measure live viewership, which is essentially surveys. Um, I think they have some new stuff where that you put like a box in your room that can sense what people are in the room.
0: I used to do that. Oh, no, did you really? Yeah, I used to um, have this thing. I forget what the name of the company was, but you wore what looked like a pager on you at all times. <laughs> and it would pick up TV signals. So if I was at a bar and it was like playing a you know a football game, it would pick up that football game. And if I went home and watched The Walking Dead live on TV, it would watch The Walking Dead. Hmm. And it would go, oh, okay, you're watching this, you're watching that. And um, I don't know what it did or what it broadcast. Um, I don't have cancer now. That's a good thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> did uh, you get but, paid at all? Yeah, or? I did. Good, good. Um, my, once once my, a month uh... or so, I would get a check for 20 bucks.
2: My, my grandma um, had a, a box like that for a while. And then I realized... And then um, uh, when I was in um, college, I had learned that TV ratings are based on things like that. So um, if you ever wanted to make a point by not watching a TV show, it's like that's probably not going to get <laughs> <laughs> measured unless you're one of those people who is actually being measured. And the thing about basing that type of show um on ratings on live tv it doesn't make sense because that is the exact type of show that you want to settle down and watch a few episodes at one time of course that's mm. like that story driven science fiction all the all the elements of that show it's not the sort of thing I would put on my schedule and like okay I've got to see this next episode it's like no I, I want to plan there, it out there isn't
1: any show that I have to that I bother to schedule I mean I don't I probably don't live the 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 typical life of people who are listening to this podcast so having small children like I just there's no way that I can say listen on Wednesday night at 830 I'm going I mean if I had cable which I don't on Wednesday night at 8.30, I'm going to sit down and watch Channel 8 or whatever. It's not happening. It yeah. just won't happen. I Everything not. that I watch is like at 4.30 in the morning on a weekday. Like, that's the only time I can watch anything. So, I will. I would never be included in the group where it would matter for for live viewership for anything on television.
0: Yeah, you also have to understand that every show is different. That, like, again, men- mentioning that, Monday Night Football was probably watched through the standard ratings thing because you know, that's something that's happening right now and you want to watch it while it's happening right now, you want to be the first person to know because the minute that's over, you're just in spoiler avoidance mode. And sports is one of those things that people are going to want to watch and they're going to want to know who won, what well, the score is, but they want the experience of not knowing.
1: It's also the sort of thing where its value diminishes immediately after it's been watched. Yes. So like, yes, there probably will be people who will go back and, well, oh, I do want to watch the Super Bowl where, you know... It's the Seahawks one or whatever. People might want to do that. But the problem is is that for the dozens of football games and for the hundreds of baseball games, no one's going to pay to go rewatch an entire baseball game a year after or
0: two no. years after. What they're going to do diminishing
1: returns are immediate with sporting events.
0: What they're going to do is they're going to watch a highlight reel. They're yep. going to watch they're going to want to watch that play. They're going to want to watch that end of the game. They're going to want to watch that moment. They're not going to watch all 3 hours. That somebody wants to watch that part of that Super Bowl from, like, 1987. They're not going to want to watch the entire four-hour broadcast again with the commercials for things that don't exist anymore. (laughs) So it's it's crazy. But again, we have to sort of realize that TV shows, actually media, not even just TV shows, but all of media is different now. And that using these antiquated models just isn't going to work. We've talked a couple times on other shows about comic books and that the... The model of only basing uh, sales off of the idea of monthly floppy issue sales is a mistake because there are things that don't really work in that model. There are comic books that really sell in trade only. So instead of punishing them for not having the sort of fan base that goes every Wednesday to a comic shop, why not make some adjustments and go, okay, well, it doesn't sell really well there, but it sells really well in trades. It sells really well when we put it in uh, Scholastic. So you make adjustments for each of these things that the Expanse is not going to be like yeah. Monday Night Football. Maybe the Expanse is one that you know that people are going to binge because it's made as a show that you're going to watch episode to episode. It's like like Lost uh, when it was on ABC is not a show that you can just jump in like Law & Order. Law & Order, it doesn't really matter what order you watch it in. But with Lost... There was a reason that twice a year they would do an hour-long recap show because that's not a show you can just jump into. Most shows have that sort of dense serialized mythology and a storyline, whether it's The Wire or The Expanse or yeah. Battlestar Galactica, that if you're going to want to watch that show, you're going to have to start from episode one. Yeah, I mean, you you put your nail on the head when you were talking about
1: punishing comic book fans, essentially, is this kind of f- does feel like punishing
2: sci-fi fans – because, uh, Wait, what's what's happening with with the expanse? Because uh, I'm guessing they didn't do well under that rating system. It got canceled. No, it got canceled. Yes. It got canceled. Okay, sorry, I didn't I didn't press it, to that because it's been oh. all over.
1: There's been a big social media campaign to try to save it, and they want to shop it out to Hulu and Netflix and Amazon. And I bet whatnot. you there's
0: someone's going to pick it up. We live in a show uh, an age. I mean, now. you
1: say that, you say that, but like, it's not as if Netflix and Amazon haven't already like. Think about all the shit that they've already, like billions of dollars already earmarked for other things that are happening. So, of course, you could say, well, if it's only, you know, just a small ca- Canadian show that's self finance, how big of a deal can that be? But still, it's not like they aren't spending hundreds of millions of dollars every month already. Well, so it's a gamble for them. The it's beautiful thing
0: about something like Netflix or something like, you know, Hulu or Amazon Prime is that they don't have to fit it into a time slot That it's it's there whenever you want it. It's not like everyone is like if you got it on NBC, you're all fighting for that time slot. You have something like say um, Brooklyn Nine Nine, which was just canceled and rescued Mm -hmm. within the course of like three days, or even that. Awful show that uh, apparently Tim Allen has been doing. <laughs> last uh, man, standing. last man standing. Which it's it's like weird. It's like it you didn't even realize it. it was like the the silence on Doctor Who where they've been here this whole time you just haven't perceived it. Um, how can a show go for five seasons and I don't even know about it? But again, we live in a, a wow. I know it's like that sudden realization. <laughs> well, oh my god, they've been here the whole time. It's I like- didn't
2: know it was five seasons, so I heard about people complaining about, it and I thought, oh, they only must have only done one season, but no, they've done, they did five. unlike like a major network. Well, it, 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 it,
1: it, this is me doing a terrible generalization and perhaps even horrible stereotyping, but perhaps the audience that would watch last man standing is the very self same audience that will stay home on a, be home on a Thursday night at nine to watch it live yeah. and won't DVR it. And so that's the difference. Mm.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably what it is. Old it's generational, people. Old, old
2: people, old people, which do not uh downplay that audience for for people no, I mean um, it's I it's, mean, the, it's it is the cash
1: cow demographic for live television it just is yes,
0: but the I guess you can say anything from Gen X to millennials we're kind of in the weird crux between those two, but uh are generation
1: we're, we're neither human nor Vulcan, therefore we don't have the right to exist yeah we are yeah. we're
0: kind of we're kind of neither one, but I guess the younger generations are people that generally don't schedule broadcast TV time unless it's for a sporting event. Uh, Even with news, they just turn it on and what's on, what's on. You know, they just have their, they pick their poison based on, you know, oh, cable TV's on, this is my political bent, this is a channel I watch. But they, people don't do what I, the last time I did that for a TV show was Lost, Hmm, where I would get a night off from work. I'd make sure that I had Wednesdays or Tuesdays or whatever Lost was on. I got that night off from work so that I could watch Lost when it went off. But, you know, other than that, I would just record it off of TV. The idea of watching something not at broadcast time is so normal for me now that I can't imagine actually scheduling it it's such a weird idea that th- that there's a time and a place to see this show and if i don't do it or if i have another obligation i just won't see that show that's just not a reality anymore that i can wa- i like i will go like a month without watching the walking dead and i'll watch like 3 of them in a row yeah so because they're, they're waiting for me and i don't even have to dvr it it's just it's on demand through the cable service it
1: is this is just i mean the reason why i brought up expenses cuz i feel like this is just uh, the frustrating part of The frustrating part of it being like, well, revenue models, as they as they are, are still so fucked. Are still they still do not seem to work for when a show has a huge audience, is universally liked critically, Mm -hmm. critically liked, and has a huge loyal audience. It's just like, okay, well, it just apparently the monetization model. that they were contracted under just doesn't fucking work
0: for this. But I mean, and, it's and, it's punishing people for not watching something or consuming yeah. media in the way that you prescribe, even though just, you make it available in other ways. There,
1: there's an, there is an analog here to the, uh, to the video game. So I think maybe this is maybe more Sean's wheelhouse, the video game industry, which is there's this move by publishers to make it so all video games that are published require an online connection to to work oh. to play a game now consider the not the 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 most re- frequent case against this would be like well what if i my internet connection is down or if i'm in I'm somewhere where i don't have wi-fi i would still like to be able to play x game or something like that really it's about control it's about being able to say it's about being able to say oh if we want to patch something out that we don't like we're going to force you to patch uh, force you to patch this if you don't want to. It Ostensibly, it's done under the guise of anti-piracy, but it really is about we want to be able to control it. So say they want to change the game so they monetize something, they make micro microtransactions because they realize that they need to, they want to be able to have control over doing that. They want to be able to restrict your ability to say, no, this is the game that I want to play right now. I want to be able to choose. Uh, they don't want you to have the choice to be able to say, no, I don't want that. I don't want you to change it in that way. Um it's the same thing it's it is a measure of control over your exp- your ex- your experience of media in in an age where you have the most con- possible yeah. control over your experience of media than you've ever had in your life. Yeah. I yes. have so much granular control.
2: I, I haven't been interested in any AAA video games in a in a long time because Part, partially because of the whole loot boxes and microtransactions thing where you yeah. you pay the video game company money to skip part of their game, essentially, is what it ends up <laughs> feeling not, like. Must not be a very good game if you're <laughs> yeah, paying to skip it. Yeah, they're putting you... In order for microtransactions and loot boxes to work, they have to put you in a place where you're where you're kind of miserable with your progression (laughs) and you shell out money to feel better and i don't i don't like that i can appreciate that in games that are free to play from the beginning because you know what you're signing up for and and you can kind of look at okay what's the value how much do users actually spend on this game per month to feel like a normal player and you can map that out whatever but i just don't get paying 60 bucks no, for a game the, to then the, the pay cra- them more money.
1: No, the crazier part about that is is when you have something like Overwatch, which I don't play, but is incredibly popular, um, where you can say, Overwatch is a great game. It's a well-made game. It's one of those types of things that people will probably, if, as long as there's compatible computers and an internet that runs, people will probably play it for 50 years. That's how amazing it is. Except that because of the sort of incremental design and the ongoing need for monetization, they have started introducing what was at first sort of DLC that was just cosmetic, where it was like, okay, well, somebody's mm-hmm. got, like, a skin that's different. You know, there's a hat or whatever. That's always a joke. There's a new hat. And it started to become not bad. It started to become about, you know, buffs, giving buffs to your characters or something like that. O- eventually, the, if you can find a way to monetize the experience down to where... uh E- people are abandoning it because there are people that
2: are abusing it who have more there, money there's a company you know. who has patented i forget which company it is but it's one of the major players they have patented a way to do microtransactions where you can pay them money to try to match you up with a team that you'll win against oh wow like that's an actual thing <sighs> it's another version of pay to win yeah yeah it's a, it's more literal now yeah but yes and yeah. Isn't that
0: just the thing with like Dick Cheney would go hunting and they would just <laughs> shake a pheasant out of a box yes. and he'd shoot it? It's I like re- I want the experience of thinking I've done something, but I want it to actually be so easy that it's stupid.
2: <laughs> yeah. So what I'm wondering is with the expanse, what's the issue? Like who wasn't who wasn't making money? Was it the Was it the creators? Was it the station? Sci-fi? Was it? I think everybody? it was probably contractual. I think they
1: their agreement with Alcon. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm para remembering here is that they probably didn't have the viewership, the live viewership that they that they thought they were going to have, and therefore the contract ended because they weren't able to m- match that. And you know, ultimately, I think I watched. I think I watched the first season three times through and two of the two of those was on Amazon streaming because it was on the Amazon Prime or whatever and like if that doesn't if that didn't count that yeah. sucks that
2: it, sucks it
0: should count because obviously people want your product well, and it should count as a how, sale
2: how does sci-fi make make money though from cuz i saw it on Amazon as well um, well i mean obviously they get a cut from Amazon even though it's free for
1: us subscription model they get there's there's got to be some revenue that every view Goes back to them in terms of money, and I'm sure then they split yeah. that money back with the people who own it. But I mean, sci-fi no- probably makes most of their money on advertising. Yeah, yeah. Because
0: there's still a cap First and foremost, a cable network. I mean, you so. can you can do the thing where you're paying. Like Amazon Prime costs money. Uh, Netflix costs money. Uh so you don't put ads on it but when I watch things on demand on my cable service I still watch ads in the spaces yep. where people would have ads I mean all of them are for Matthew McConaughey driving a car and, or, It's true or,
2: it's always the same ad over and over when you're when you're watching it I just I have seen
0: way too much of that Carfax guy So so, wait, so here's
2: the here's the thought of it is it just that the
1: algorithms are just that dumb that they just don't... they don't have the content to play it over and over again? Or if they just targeted the exact advertisement <laughs> that they... they wanted you to buy that fucking Matthew McConaughey car, yes. that Lincoln no, or whatever it I, was, and you, it just didn't work on you.
0: Well, I think it's it's the same reason that when you hear ads on podcast that it's always for the like audible it's always for casper mattresses. it's there's like they're d- they're yeah, just the squarespace. Only one, squarespace wait are they
2: getting money for us naming them maybe no. i should stop <laughs> but i mean
0: there's like only about i mean i hope of, they would give us money there's there's only <laughs> just, a
2: handful of companies that advertise
0: on podcasts because there aren't a lot of companies that are convinced that moving beyond the thing that they've done for 50 years as far as our advertising model is is worth it. Are you saying that on the time shifted DVR or on demand stuff, there's only a
1: small number of companies who are convinced yeah. that advertising is it, it, is it because of the skipping
2: pit? Is it because you can. I think some boop of them boop, you can boop, skip. Boop. I think you can, but you can fast forward. By yeah. the way, that reminds me. But I need thing... to talk about my socks. No, I'm just kidding. Oh.
0: oh. <laughs> I've heard are, that one. <laughs> are they Bumbus socks? Uh, but there's only so many. Um, but the. Um, the thing with that is that I've noticed that when I watch an episode of a TV show on demand, that for the first week until the next episode comes out, I can't fast forward the commercials. Yeah, yeah. But then yeah. after that, I can. So I I think that's a that's a compromise I can live with. I can play with my cat for a couple minutes while waiting for The Walking Dead to come back on TV. Um, so, so
2: for The Expanse, would the solution be to convince um, Amazon... So, I I don't have an Amazon account, but I would make one for the Expanse. There we go. Will that bring the Expanse back? Are you <laughs> Enough listening? People say that. Yes. Well, they'd have to
0: have somebody who isn't a grandpa um, coming up with a contract because if they said we want this many or that many viewers for this show, um, that would you know they had a metric that took in that we're not living in the world of twenty years ago um as far as how to tabulate how how popular how can they
1: not have that metric though that's what i I mean it it, yes it's difficult when it's a person in their trailer that is 40 miles away from savannah georgia watching over bunny ears yes that's difficult it is not difficult when you are every time you hit the button you're asking amazon servers play me this once not difficult at all in fact. They have droves and droves of engineers whose that's their job is to be able to track that number, collate it, and then be able to display it on, in a query. Like, how can they not know how many people are watching and base a monetization model off of subscription? I'm, I'm sure they do. Oh, and it's just opaque to us. You still have
0: people who are just stuck in their ways. Yeah. Does,
2: does sci-fi need, does The Expanse and their new season, which hopefully gets created, do they need to maybe feature someone creating a website on uh, Squarespace <laughs> while a- they're wearing their socks yeah. on their Casper mattress <laughs> right. and that'll be a way for sci-fi to still get money because then no matter you know, where you play it's it it's 200
1: years in the future and it just so happens on the on the uh, the deck of the Rosanante they happen to be wearing a, a <laughs> they happen to be wearing Nike sneakers and, you know, drinking Red Bull and then also making an ad on, you know, making a website with Squarespace. Yes. <laughs> yes. That would work. I,
0: I think that's a lot of it, too, is why do the, there so few companies that you hear over and over again on podcasts? Because I think somebody's like, fuck it, I'm going to be the one that gets in there first. And they... I, I don't know how well they're doing by these ads. I hope they're doing really well because I want podcasters to do well. I want podcasts to grow. And I think they are growing. It's hard to tell how much because there isn't a standard way to uh, to know how much this or that show is getting downloaded. I mean, I j- mean
1: just a reminder for uh, we don't advertise on this show. We are entirely Patreon funded. So if you guys want to throw us money, throw us more money if you already are patreon.com slash
0: radio versus the Martians. Yes, thank you very much. It's uh but yeah, it's it's one of those things where um you kinda have to prove that you can make money at it and I think streaming is still kind of in its infancy. That Which pe- is crazy when you think about it. Yeah, it's how crazy big it is. considering
1: how, every, almost everything that everyone watches is streaming or listens to is streaming now. And I like I think of people like, don't buy music anymore. Yeah. People just don't buy music well, anymore. Well, I
0: think of like Netflix. I don't know how Netflix affords to make all the things they make. Borrowing money. Are they?
2: Yeah. Is this like a, a giant
0: scam, and it's going to collapse someday? Well, they're know.
2: they're betting on the future, and the future is streaming. I mean, and-
1: that's that's it's financial engineering, is what it is. It's not they they, it's not just how much revenue they make back from their subscribers, and they're clearly not monetizing through advertising. It's the financial engineering that comes with a publicly traded company, because it's not just about the money they're taking in through revenue.
0: There's also all the money that they uh, all the money that they can borrow. But at the same time I mean obviously they're making some amount of money cuz people find out that they want to watch stranger things so they will subscribe to to Netflix they give them money um that these are the the shows it's kind of like HBO I think in the sense that HBO makes very expensive looking shows and they, they aren't, like, basing it off of advertising. They're basing it off of that show having enough of a reputation or being enough of a water cooler show that you're willing to, at the very least, pay for something like HBO Now, the streaming service, to get it. Like, um, what was it? I I know that every time I've talked to somebody with the cable company, um, they have openly told me on the phone that uh, people sign up and leave to match when game of thrones is putting out new episodes (laughs) that they expect it that they will have more subscriptions during the months that there are new episodes of game of thrones and but that I think that the longer one of these shows, these, these networks keeps going, that's, that's even better than people who are pirating it. So that's still a win for them. But I mean, it, I mean, HBO is a great example that even just with the streaming service, that you can watch new, you can watch new Game of Thrones as it comes out, but you can watch all of the old HBO shows, like, the previous Game of Thrones, you can watch Sex in the City, you can watch The Sopranos, right. you can watch all of the sports stuff that they've done, the movies that they have streaming at the point. I mean, HBO has enough of a backlog of original programming that I would be jealous of that, that they can break themselves off from something like Amazon or Netflix and do their own thing and people will pay for it. Like Disney doing its own streaming service, which apparently they're in the midst of creating... That is a back catalog that is humbling when you think about everything that Disney has ever made, if you made that available.: I, I'm not convinced
1: that it is going. So this is my take. I'm not actually convinced that paying 999 a month for the Disney streaming means that you get to watch every animated Disney, Disney animated movie. I tend to think that it will also be a and rent this too. That's I, what I think it's going to be. I wonder.
0: Because if they did something straight up like... They're Disney, for fuck's sake. Oh, they're yeah, not Disney- going to
1: do things out of the goodness of their hearts. And they're certainly not going to do things to appear more fair than the, the competition.
0: But at the same time, are we dealing with a Disney that is perhaps in the same mindset as the people who wrote the contract for The Expanse? If there's anyone that sounds like it's a room full of old guys, it would probably be Disney. That yeah. they, this is the way we've always done it. We've always survived. This is the business we've chosen. Um, <laughs> that I can't imagine that they... What if they are so they feel so unthreatened by streaming that they allow stuff on the stream that would normally be in the vault? You just can't own a physical copy, but you could watch like Beauty and the Beast or The Little Mermaid or some of these other things that are only have this short window of availability on physical I, media.
2: I think it... It would include Marvel, right? Because Marvel's coming off of Netflix, eventually.
0: Yeah, if, if they pull in the Marvel and Star Wars stuff, that's just that. But even just the last 75 years of just Disney, including all their animated shorts, all of their nature programs, The Wonderful World of Disney, all the movies that they've made. Would Pixar be in there? Yeah, if, yes. pi- if Pixar was in there. I mean, Definitely. that is insane. That is a that is a catalog that... I mean, the only person I could see that would have a back catalog you can compare to that would be like the BBC. Sure.
2: I've uh I've considered um actually signing up for the Simpsons streaming which is just the Simpsons because I haven't seen it and I feel like I've missed out on well, a lot of cultural references. When you have
1: 3 years of 30 years of a show I think that almost be able to warrant its
0: own it's uh its own sort of thing, and I, you probably I have guess, to buy a separate server for just the Simpsons right right that is a lot of programming
1: I don't know i as just to this is the last thing I'll say about it is I cannot believe that the idea of what Disney will eventually do with their streaming services is just put their entire catalog up, so it's either what I, a what I think is more likely, which is some things that are in their vault will be available on streaming, you know. Uh, the Great Mouse Caper will be available and Black Cauldron will be available. But uh, if you if you want to watch like Little Mermaid or whatever, it's $2.99 for HD and three ninety nine dollars three ninety nine for HD or whatever. There's another one, which is that there is that there will be a rotating window. And it's just some things will be available on streaming for six months and then they'll go off, which is also likely. I just can't like they are the masters of wanting to lock everything up under Lock and key that they can so they can make revenue off forever and never let go of it. So I can't imagine that they're going to play with the same terms as Netflix is. I just can't.
0: Yeah. Well, Netflix is a different animal because it's a it's a one overarching company that is just a venue for all of these smaller companies. So like Okja and Walk in and, uh, you know, House of Cards are not made by the same people. no they're not owned by the same company but Netflix is just the company they signed a contract with to be their network but the assumption is is that every Netflix original show and movie now will be available in perpetuity
1: mm-hmm. i think that's the assumption
0: yeah you you would assume yeah um it's it's weird i i am actually kind of shocked that the audacity of the uh, CBS all access <laughs> because one the streaming network's... you still haven't seen the star Trek have you i haven't and here's the okay. thing that I keep sort of hearing um Greg Hatcher, our good friend has has kind of drummed it into me that it's worth watching that it's really good and that it's an earned moment at the end that's very good Star Trek, and I'm willing to give that a Greg
1: Hatcher and I could have words, but uh it's worth watching
0: it's worth i I think it's a it's a thing where i, do, I haven't gotten to the point where I want to pay for CBS All Access because there's nothing else on that network that I want to watch.
1: You're just going to wait for the 14-day trial and, and then just watch all of Star Trek. <laughs> that right? would be yeah, what I would do.
0: Yeah. I would I would if at the very least I would pay for a month and just binge Star Trek Discovery because I don't want to watch Young Sheldon. I don't want <laughs> I don't want to watch the the 50 different variations of NCIS or, you know, CSI or I mean, there's just a thousand cop shows. Um there really isn't a lot that I want to get out of that.
2: So I mean, young young Sheldon, so is this Jim Parsons on a previous show? No, no. this is
0: <laughs> this is uh basically the Dragon Ball
2: to his Dragon Ball Z, I guess. It's, it's <laughs> this basically is a prequel. A, it's a prequel p- T V show to yeah. the Big Bang Theory. That's what yeah. it is. Huh. Pretty much. Oh, okay. So that clip I saw of him getting into an argument with the preacher at church is from an actual show perhaps there was a well it's from
0: around. young sheldon i don't know if it's from an actual show oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like i have no desire to watch any of that people who listen to the show know how i feel about the big bang theory but they <laughs> they did mention that at some point they're going to be making and i don't know this is just a rumor this is a completely apocryphal i heard somewhere and woman, well, please tell me if this is true but it sounded like that Jordan Peele was going to have a reboot of the Twilight Show on CBS All Access. Oh,
1: I didn't hear there. I um, because if that's true, that would be something.
0: That would be something that may make me, you know, that plus Star Trek Discovery might be enough to make me pay for that.
2: I do like though that we're switching to this model where we pay them for a show we want to watch. Like, I like I like that more. Um, I saw. Someone, um, on PBS, uh, making the argument that social media would be so much better if it was, if there was a tool out there that you would just pay them and you were their customer instead of the advertisers and political influencers being the customer. Russian bots. Yeah, exactly. Or whoever it is, including Russian bots. I
1: I just like, I just like to assume that anyone that disagrees with me on social media is obviously a Russian bot
0: yeah you know that would simplify things yeah so uh, <laughs> tips for Russian bots for the future uh, make sure you turn your location off because frequently it does say you're broadcasting from Moscow on your thing. you're just really really bad at your job. I hope Putin takes your money back but yeah it's it's bonkers that um, we we have a system like social media where essentially you get this thing for free, but what we really do is you're plugging in an extensive survey for advertisers. And it's such a big thing and it's such a necessary thing to have if you have any kind of creative project that you can't not be on something like Facebook and
1: Twitter. Because it's marketing that you don't have to pay anyone for. It's a marketing service you don't have to pay for. And so it's invaluable. I don't know. I mean, I despite the fact that yes, you know, follow us on Radio versus the Martians on Facebook and Twitter, um, but also I I have said over and over again that I think that social media is the most dystopic human technology created since the atom bomb. I legit think it is. Like I think we've just decided to all plug ourselves into a literal mind control machine for dubious benefit. For dubious benefit. It's- and I don't know how to. You know I don't know how to. I mean we roll out of that. I mean hopefully maybe we can make some hay out of it and.
0: Mike's car can get blown up by John Wick. Oh, we haven't talked about that. Hashtag
1: destroy Mike's car. So, um,
0: I I got a new car. Um, (laughs) It is hashtag destroy Mike's car. Please, please do use it. Um, So, um, I, for the past 15 years, have driven a 2001 Nissan Sentra Silver. And what a car it is. It it had a good life to it. And uh, it just finally got a repair job that I wasn't willing to pay for. It's a radiator. It still drives really well up to like 40 miles an hour. But if you replace the radiator, um, good as new. So uh, it's not a junker. I promise you that. Uh, so I, I found as I'm just like, okay, time for me to finally buy a new car. I've been saving for a new car for like six or seven years and uh that's so responsible of you Mike. yeah so i'm i have a lot of money put aside i can make all my payments because i've got a chunk of cash like a dragon that i can spend on my car and
1: he also has a weak spot on his belly too yeah i do
0: i do it's my entire belly um it's the biggest part on me so it's, it's easy to hit um so um, I got to the point where it's just like, okay, I have I I bought a new car, <laughs> Mike. Not unlike uh, the guy
1: from Punch Out, has tape in the form of an axe over his belly button. Yeah, that's, that's, you, that's, that's my weak spot, punch Yeah, you got Punch Bowl. The other King Hippo. You're King much Hippo. Like, much like King Hippo.
0: I have his haircut, <laughs> but the um. So, anyways, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, my car is done. There's not a lot I can do with this thing anymore. <laughs> I'm just, I just, I just bought a new one. It's the first new car I've had in a while. I love it. It smells amazing inside of it. <laughs> um, and so I still have this old car, and there's nothing that would make me sadder than that. That moment where you have somebody because I can't get any money for it. It was old enough that it, I couldn't use it as money down on my new car. Right. Nobody wants it. You know where the last car that I had, my first car. Uh, got towed away sadly it was like the end of Shane (laughs) where it's probably dead but you want to believe it'll go to live on a farm but it's dead it's dead in the saddle it's been taken away (laughs) and um so it was just so fucking sad and I had that car for only about five years this car I've had for 15 I was 23 years old wow when I bought this car damn I was I was a baby. Um <laughs> I was in a very different place in my life. I've had this car for a long time. Also, I picked up Ralph Nader at the airport once <laughs> in that car. Wait,
2: that car might be worth something. That's good. It's by the
0: way when you when you when you do have uh, I doubt that oh. it, not really but oh. when you do have Ralph Nader in your passenger seat it does feel like you're on your driver's test. You're like,
2: <laughs> it's very very meta because uh, well did he wear I a seatbelt? Yeah, oh he absolutely wore a <laughs> seatbelt. Okay, okay, yeah. It's like his claim to fame. <laughs> yes.
1: it's it's. Uh, You'd be shocked to know Ralph Nader does not wear seatbelts. He oh, he's be- just like fuck. he doesn't believe
0: them. He's like fuck this safety shit. <laughs> I just did it for the fame. No. Uh, no, Ralph wore a seatbelt, but you do feel like you're in your driver's test. Anyways. I, yeah, um, you better
2: be wearing your seatbelt because that was fought up. I for. do. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't do airbags. No. I, uh,
0: I, uh, I don't want this car to be taken away that way. I don't want it to be dragged away to probably end up as a dead husk on in some lot somewhere. I, I kind of want to know how it dies, and I want it to die spectacularly. So what I I decided is that I would want more than anything if uh, my car could make an appearance in John Wick Chapter 3 and be destroyed, whether it's set on fire or explodes or it's shot up being used as a bullet shield. Mm Mm-hmm. In a maybe a gun battle between Keanu Reeves and Common or someone else, it would be really cool. <laughs> or if somebody could crash through the the hood, but falling in a wind. I don't. I don't know. You guys who make these movies do a spectacular job, and there's nothing I want more uh, than my movie to be destroyed in John Wick three. Um, I really, really, really want that. So, um, I if you go to my web my uh my Twitter page, which is of course Mister Mike Gillis, um, I do have a couple posts, but just. You know, tweet at uh, John Wick movie and let them know that you want them to destroy my car um, and just use the hashtag destroy Mike's car. And I, I would really like it. If my car is going to be towed away, um, I want it to be towed away by a movie studio who's going to destroy it. Uh, John Wick, <laughs> yes. is, I'm willing to make compromises, but John Wick chapter three is my number one choice. There's no other movie that I wanted to go out. Plus my car might be able to meet Keanu Reeves.
2: You hear that, Hollywood? Yeah, but also just like with, uh, or maybe perhaps the opposite of like with Keanu Reeves' previous movies, your car can't go over forty. Yeah, it's, it's like reverse, or, speed. or it will blow up. Yes, yes, no doubt. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's
0: it's still a car that you can use. I mean, it's it's a very generic looking sedan. Uh, I just blow it Mike's up on yeah.
2: car for sedan number five. Yeah.
0: Yeah. come on, it doesn't even have to be a big deal. But um, just blow it up on camera and the movie studio can have it for free. I won't, I have the papers. I'm good to go. Uh, let's do this. I don't know how much interest I can get it, but just hashtag destroy Mike's car, uh, Mr. Mike Gillis and just tweet it. Uh, uh, John wick movie. We, we can make this happen. I hope it's so. not impossible because you know, if, if nothing else, if, um, if this doesn't work out, I'd be willing to compromise and have it get turned into something on a Mad Max movie. Ooh. <laughs> they could do something with my car and blow it up. Um, you could do something. Uh, maybe Dominic Toretto can crash into it. <laughs> you um, can always... You know, the Hulk
2: can throw it. There are... You know, there's directors who love to use explosions. Yeah. And we could start contacting them if, if everything else falls through.
0: Movies are expensive, and this is one car you don't have to pay for.
1: You know, uh, if we have any listener who is particularly good at 3D modeling, at the very least, we could have someone make a very high, highly detailed 3D model and texture of your car, and we can just... Email your your special effects department, and then you could just add it in, add it on in there. Oh, but if it was if it was a digital destruction, would it still be fun.
2: It I, still want, be I want it? the actual car to be destroyed. Oh, wait, what if this I'll became, destroy your car for what you. What if Mike? your car became like the Wilhelm screen? <laughs> like it's just got to explode in every movie. That would be great.
0: I would love that if my if my car made a couple appearances. I know Sam Raimi does that with his old car. Um... <laughs> It's, you know, you you didn't notice that the car from Evil Dead is also Uncle Ben's car in the first Spider Man movie. Hmm. It's that same yellow Oldsmobile that appears everywhere. It's it's just a coincidence that it's named after the rice guy.
2: I think so. Just a coincidence. I think it's just a coincidence. Wait, is the box of rice always yellow? Oh, is the box of rice always yellow too? I don't think so. Uh I don't know. But his name's Uncle Ben.
1: Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tavia Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com.
2: here, bro.